0: This is a case from the Mumon Khan, case 45, the main case. Master Hoen of Tozan said, even Shakyamuni and Maitreya are servants of that one. Now tell me, who is that one? Mumon's commentary. If you clearly recognize that one, it will be just like meeting your father at the crossroads. It is not necessary to ask others whether it is he or not. The verse, do not draw another's bow, do not ride another's horse, do not speak of another's faults, do not inquire into another's affairs. So we were away for three weeks, Myrgen and I, and uh, it was a good trip, good to visit family, it's good to be away, it's good to be back. We missed everybody and I want to thank you all for, for keeping things going. And of course thank Keichi for leading, thank, thank uh, Mitsugen for also being present and leading, and uh, of course, Taiken for keeping us posted and uh, keeping things coordinated. You know, it uh, it makes a huge difference to, to go away for a while knowing that uh, things keep going, knowing that uh, I shouldn't worry about it there's no need to worry about it because i have great trust in your ability to have the dharma as your light and have the dharma guide you and also i trust your ability to to keep it real to keep maintaining your own personal practice and also to keep attending to the Sangha as a whole. So, thank you. So, this koan. Authentic spiritual practice, any spiritual practice, is meant to, to liberate the practitioner from hindrances and bondage, right? Yet, in this koan, Master Hohen says that even Shakyamuni Buddha and Maitreya Buddha are servants. Shakyamuni Buddha we know. right? Of course, uh, our original teacher, as we call him. And Maitreya Buddha is the Buddha of the future that will show up, that will be born at a time that Buddhism is no longer practiced and he will show up he or she will show up to revive buddhism those are very revered figures in buddhism this koan is saying or horn is saying that even those two those highly revered figures are servants and there's another coin from this same collection about Master Zwigan who every day used to call himself Master, then would answer yes. And again he would call thoroughly awake, thoroughly awake. And he would answer Yes, yes. Do not be deceived by others. Any day, any time, no, no. So that's another con from the same collection. The question is are these two Qurans referring to t- two different states of being? Or maybe the, the, the more important question, paramount primary question is, how do we understand being the master? Or what does it mean to be free? Conventionally, of course, a servant is subservient to a master. And So there's a clear divide between the one who is serving and the one who is in charge. Right? But koans are not bound by convention, logic, or anything else. Right? Koans are there to open up, to open us up to what's beyond convention, conditions, upbringing, Societal way of thinking. So they encourage us to look beyond the common interpretations of, of thinking mind. Of so when we look at that, at those two cons, or at the aspect of mastery or serving, and we look beyond what we think it is what is bondage and what is liberation when we look at bondage we can see that typically it's connected to habits opinions gender, looks, state of being maybe location emotions the culture we live in the heritage we grew up in also They are actually, they come out of being born, living, and dying. This is how, this is how or where we create bondage from. Just everyday stuff, right? You know, these are all natural aspects of just living as a human being. But if we look at it, you know, we see the bondage actually is not about that, it has to do with how we function within those natural, everyday aspects of living. And it has to do with attachment and identification more than the appearances of everyday stuff. And I've been thinking about this during the the visit to, to Israel, especially in relation to what we consider roots and heritage. Because I was born there, and although I haven't been there for sorry, eight years or so, last time I was there, as soon as we landed, there was this immediate cultural familiarity. And I was very, uh, it was very easy for me to connect with. we usually call that kind of sense of familiarity we call it being at home and i felt exactly that it was new for a split second but then right away yeah i know that i can function in that i can move freely within that so being at home so this is this was home this is home yet after but 28 years of living here in the US, this is also home. Right? While culturally it may be different, or appearances are different. This is home, over there is home. So there is a sense of familiarity, right, about being what we call being at home, yet we cannot deny the differences so the question is what makes home home and what does it do to us what does it create when we what do we feel when we think about I am home or what do we feel when we think about I am not at home what's the difference You know, years of practice do a lot of things to us and actually work on a lot of hindrances over time. One of the things that they do is that they make, as as Maizumi Roshi used used to say, they make the uneven even. They start to blur the lines between, in this case it would be, between what we call home and what we call not home. And they they blur the lines between differentiation. It's not that we become blind to differences. It's just that we learn how to function freely within differences. Learn how to not attach to what is different, to what feels different. Right? Which not we become blind to differences it's just that blindness to the conceptual gaps and separations they create in our minds of course the world is full of differences different appearances, different sounds sights and what we need to do is to, to open up to, to open up an eye that can see the underlying sameness within the differences as we move through different appearances. And it takes time. It takes time because we have to get through deep attachments, emotional attachments to what is familiar, to what we know. And we compare what we know to what we don't know. And naturally, we go towards what we know. Right? I mean, this is what we do. So to open up the eye to the underlying sameness that binds all differences. And when we do that, we actually can be liberated from identifying with this form or that form, with this feeling or that feeling. To feel it, yet to not identify it. To experience, yet to keep things flowing, to keep things, keep things moving. Because that's where we get stuck. This is where stagnation happens. Not because appearances vary, because we hold on to different appearances. And by doing that, we reject other So, so one of the things about practice in relation to that is to find a way to to, let, to to experience what's happening and to move freely within and to function freely within the changes so while i was in, in israel i had a, a conversation with, with a friend we were talking about traveling living in different places and he said he lived he traveled quite a lot around the world living in different places But he said he never really felt at home as he does being in Israel. And then he asked me, how do I feel about being there? So I looked at him deeply and and I said that I can completely relate to how he was feeling, yet at the same time, at the same time, I can always sense this underlying feeling of the entire world being home the entire world wherever i am is home so it's not so much i am at home as much as i am home and it's not it's not to make it sound like a cliche or something it's just abstract it's just that we are home on one level we are home on another level we travel from one country to another And on that level, of course, the appearances vary. And of course, the feelings also vary. But what happens when we realize or recognize that home is beyond location? Home is beyond cultural familiarity, beyond language, beyond gender, beyond knowing, essentially. What kind of a home is it that is beyond what we know or beyond what we can think? You know, Hakuin, you remember Hakuin Song of and there's a line that says, in going and returning, never leave home. Yeah, go, come back, but never leave home. Never leaving, never arriving, yet traveling freely. When Kaoshan first met Dongshan, Dongshan asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Benji. That was his uh, given name by his parents, Benji. And then he asked him, "But well, what is your transcendent name? And Kaoshan said, there I have no name there I have no name where is there how far is there from here how detached this is from that or is it so if somebody asks me where am I from originally where am I from On one level, I am from Israel. On another level, I am from nowhere. Or I am nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be pinpointed or attached to or tied up to, conceptually tied up to. And again, conceptually not being tied up to anything does not mean not not speaking a language not understanding the culture not being influenced by the culture not feeling certain feelings when we are surrounded by a familiar culture we grew up in there are no negations it's just at the same time that we are feeling those feelings of familiarity at that same time to feel the unity of all things within the multiplicity and it's a tremendous gift actually practice is a tremendous gift zazen is a tremendous gift because zazen allows or shows sheds light on what connects the dots You know, where we are born, or wherever we choose to live, and what we find appealing, is not as important as recognizing that what we call the essential matters that unites everything. And this is what we have to see. This is what practice can help us clarify. That's why daily zazen is so so vital somebody asked me about Zaza and what is it and meditation, practice and to describe it and and I thought about it for for a few seconds and, and all I could say is just that it's a gift it's a gift, that's all it is it's just a gift that is given to us every day are we recognizing that it is a gift and are we treating it like the greatest gift we can ever get. There's nothing greater than that because all it does, because it does not interfere, all it does, it sheds light on what unites. And it calms down the, 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 the anxiety that arises out of gaps. Out of I am not here, I am there. I want to be over there, but I'm not yet there. Or whatever it is, or however else we chop reality to fragments and then we want to reject one and run away towards another. It allows us to rest basically it allows the spirit to rest you know to sit in Zazen is to remember that what well, we are beyond differences and beyond what we think and it's a way to personally experience what we call the fundamental constant principle I mean big words but it's really to To get to know ourselves in a way that we cannot think about or conceptualize. And then it allows us to to move freely rather than be moved by fears of impermanence and attachments to the transient. to to be attached to the transient or to a location. It could be the transient that can appear as a location. That is to be servant to, to what is disintegrating from moment to moment. Actually, what is disintegrating from the moment of its inception. Its nature is to disintegrate. Yet we hold on to it yet we want to define ourselves by it. No, it, is, it is futile. Of course, acting this way, living this way, is, is not only futile, it is, it is bound to raise feelings of alienation, fears, dissatisfaction. No, on the other hand, to, to recognize the underlying constancy that unites all appearances, And to be of service to it cuts through the heaviness of everyday life. And it raises these incredible feelings of deep connectedness to everything. Everything is home. Everybody is a friend. Everything is embracing everything. Everything is embracing everything. So where is home right what is home what isn't home well how do we judge what is home and what isn't how do we judge completion inner completion how do we judge anything And what what does it mean to not judge by any standards? To not compare, to not separate, to not cut. Or to cut two to one. To cut the many into one with every step. As soon as the mind separates, we need to cut it. Cut the mind that separates at the moment it separates. Otherwise, we are slaves to living this way and to experiencing life as fragments, and we are obeying it. This is where this is where we come in to practice from. From the mind that separates, from obeying the mind that separates and then suffering the consequences. So we say underlying, right? we use the term underlying constancy. Where is underlying? What is underlying? And where, or the other question is, is the underlying separated from what is above? Or what do we look for the underlying? You now look at something as tangible as a tree. You know, we, we, when we think about a tree, we know it has roots, right? We know that there is a root system, but the eye cannot see the root system. So if I want to connect... Intimately with the root system, where do I go? Do I dig it out? Do I cut it? Do I kill it? Or when I'm intimately connecting with the leaf, am I not intimately connecting with the roots? It is a leaf, there are branches you hold on to a branch, are you not holding on to the root? When you're studying the leaf, are you not studying the entire tree? When we look at what we know and study what we know, study what the eye can see, are we not studying what the eye cannot see? When we sense the body as is, are we not sensing everything else at the same time? In other words, where do we search for what we don't know? Where do we search for the formless, if not within the form? As long as we don't experience the the totality within the particular. It's another way to say that, right? The totality within the particular. We're lost in everyday appearances and actually are servants of the ephemeral. And terrified of the ephemeral. Terrified of the fact that it is fleeting. That it is disintegrating. Then we hold on. Yet... Holding on doesn't work. Now being servants, we're all servants. The question is, what or who are we serving? I remember once I was uh, with Shinga Roshi, and she brought up a line, a relevant line from a Bob Dylan song that says, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, maybe the Lord. What are we serving? Are you serving your thoughts and emotions? Are you serving an, an ideal or an idea? Habits. Are you ruled by past experiences that just keep getting triggered? They do get triggered, but are you ruled by them? Is the question. Are we? We are heavily conditioned, all of us, heavily conditioned to think a certain way, to act a certain way. But how do we work with being conditioned? is the question. This is where freedom is. There's nothing we can do about the way we grew up, about what we, what we are conditioned to do by our upbringing, by the culture, by the heritage. The way we look is the way we look. But how do we move through that, is the question. Actually, that's where the practice is at. and the first step of any spiritual entering any spiritual path is to actually admit that we are ruled by our thoughts and emotions that we are slaves to what we think and then we need to raise the great doubt and venture out on a journey beyond the comfort of following and obeying our thoughts and upbringing This is what we encounter with all those great teachers. If you read about them and you read their biography, you recognize the, the fire within, the fire they had to clarify relentless practice and search and determination. Falling down, getting up. Falling down, getting up. Again and again and again and again. Experiencing disappointments. Agony. Yet not allowing this to send them right back to where they came from. I want to free myself from myself. Period. And I will do whatever it takes to see through this. Period. You know, the teacher in this koan is actually Master Hoen of Tozan, who is Wutsu Fayan. You may remember that from other koans. So I want to read a little bit about Fayan. He began his spiritual journey relatively late in his life. He was 35. He became a monk when he was 35 years old. First studying the, the Yogacara school of Buddhism and however it says that Fayan was troubled by the proposition that when a Bodhisattva enters the way wisdom and principle are eclipsed and though environment and mind are reportedly realized as fully united no evidence can be offered to affirm the truth of this unity how do we verify how do we verify the truth? How do we fa- verify that this is the truth, not a lie? That I am the truth, not a lie? You remember, Dogen, to study the way to study the self? <clears throat> to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be verified by all things. All things are verified, but it takes that kind of practice, that kind of determination, that kind of process, step by step, always determined. So with this doubt in mind, Payam made inquiries to different master, masters about the nature of spontaneous knowledge. Right? So he asked one of the teachers and, and his, the answer to this question was if a person drinks water, he personally knows whether it's hot or cold immediately knows whether it's hot or cold. And it says that while this helped to clarify Fayan's understanding, he still said, well, then hot or cold can be known, but what about knowledge of the self? What about that which knows hot or cold? It says it may be cool or warm, all right, but... What is this business of spontaneous knowing? Again, who is knowing? And he wondered and questioned very deeply. He asked the lecturer about the principle of spontaneous knowing, but the lecturer could not answer. Instead, he said, if you want to clarify this principle, I cannot explain it. But in the South, there are adepts who have found out the source of the enlightened mind. They know about this matter. You will have to journey for it. So it says in the story that Fayan went traveling. He went to the capital city and all around the eastern riverlands asking every Zen adept he could find about this matter. And everyone he asked gave him a reply. Some explained, some spoke in aphorisms. In any case, his feelings of doubt remained unbroken. Later he came to Fushan. Seeing that everything Fushan said in the lecture and interviews was relevant to what was in his mind, he wound up staying there for a year. Fushan had him contemplate the phrase, Buddha had a secret saying, Kashyapa did not conceal it. And one day Fushan said to him, why didn't you come earlier? You should go call on Bayun Duan. So Fayan went to study with Bayun. One day he asked Bayun about Nanquan's teaching and just when he finished asking this question, Bayan shouted, causing Fayan to instantly attain enlightenment. So all these questions were clarified at that moment, at that instant of the shout. Not because the shout answered the question, because the shout clarified that there is no question to begin with. But yet again, every step was essential. Every step before that moment was essential. And then he said, Buddha had a secret saying, Kashyapa did not conceal it. Of course, of course. It's always been this way. it says when knowledge and principle merge environment and mind unite it is like when one drinks water one spontaneously knows whether it is warm or cool how true these words are and after this experience he composed the verse before the mountain spreads the plain repeatedly with folded hands i asked the elders they sold to me so many times and yet i purchased more just to know that pine and bamboo bring forth the cloudless wind. You know, when we don't verify on our own, when we don't verify on our own, we end up purchasing all kinds of ideas and images from other people. And it never really quenches that deep thirst. And because it doesn't, we keep buying more and more, as he says in the verse. And the last line, the last line is so incredibly clear because it says, Pine and bamboo bring forth the cloudless wind. Everything, everything is always reflecting the unknown. In the same way that every part of the tree is always embodying and reflecting the root system. All the time. But our eyes chop it up. Our eyes separate. Our eyes are looking for something else. Our minds are seeking something else. And until the mind rests, we run around like crazy looking for something different. And then comparing. This is not it. This is may this may be it. This looks like this, looks this looks like that. Or this feels like this or that. And he says pine and bamboo because for him this was everyday appearances. For us, maybe cars, buildings, trees, squirrels, cup of coffee in the morning. Everything brings forth the cloudless wind. Everything and Everybody. And it's not about a location, it's not about what something signifies to us personally or the feelings that arise in us when we encounter something or someone. But we have to have a different kind of different way to look at it. A keen eye that penetrates when it sees that doesn't, an eye or a mind that does not get caught up in its own immediate interpretations. Otherwise that sends us right back to where we began. Pine and bamboo always express it. Actually the most mundane and negligible is always verifying the constant fundamental principle and the statement buddha had the secret saying kashyapa didn't conceal it Ma kashyapa this is my kashyapa was the first successor in the practice right in the tradition he was the buddha's successor and there's a story you may remember that that One day the Buddha got up to give a talk and he just held up a flower and told it and Makashyapa was the only one who responded to that, the only one who really had a deep connection with what the Buddha was expressing and he smiled. So the Buddha holding up a flower was an expression. And all Makashyapa did was basically not to conceal what the Buddha was expressing. And this is our job, this is our practice, to not conceal who we are, what we are. And of course when when you meet, or when you recognize your true face, your true nature, it is like meeting your father on a crossroad. You verify. It's clear. You don't need to ask another. Even if another person says no, you're full of it. You don't know what you're talking about. doesn't matter. There's no need for a confirmation because we are the confirmation. It's the same as drinking water. You know immediately. How do you know? Do you ever even ponder? How do you know? Does it matter? How do you know whether it's hot or cold? You just do. And not only that you know, you know how to use that knowledge in order to live everyday life, to express everyday life, to embrace everyday life, as it is. The most simple and mundane expresses the fundamental so instead of creating something we have to let go of what we create we have to let go of what we have created and what we are worshiping and what we are enslaved by we are serving what we create our own creation And how are we serving it? by Through the words, through the thoughts, through the actions. That's how we are servants of another. So in the words of Lao Tzu said, the practice of the way consists of daily losing. Daily losing. Every day, look at the way you are enslaving yourself to what you created and it's just little by little stop doing that and when we don't do that we become servants of something that is unknown and always flowing always moving always at home but it's a different kind of being service of or being servants to. It's a, it's, it's a servant or speaks being of service as being masters because there is no other, because it doesn't divide. To serve the way is to be the way. Look at the Atadipa. We chant that, right? Regularly. That was the last time you looked at the translation. But it says, you are the light. Dwell. You are the refuge. Have no other as your refuge. Light of the Dharma. Refuge of the Dharma. Have no other as your refuge. The verse says, do not draw another's bow. Do not ride another's horse. Do not speak of another's faults. Do not inquire into another's affairs. Who is the other? Is it possible that this other is created by our thoughts and emotions? Is it possible that this is not referring to another person but only to our own creation? Are we open to explore that, the possibility that we may be living a life of another while being the truth, we may not be living the truth because we don't trust that we are the truth. And when we don't trust that we are the truth, we are slaves of the false. to serve unity is to move from unity to not create to not dwell to celebrate every moment to celebrate differences knowing that the differences do not chop up the differences do not hurt Or do not change the constancy. It's just the way the constancy appears. So is it possible? Stay with that. Work with that. Is it possible that we are, that you are living a life of obeying what is false? And if it is, then stop and look at how can you trust the truth, trust that you are the truth, and obey that, serve that, instead of the false. Work with that. It's good to be back. Thank you.